Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. I feel really welcome back. My name is Michael Bischoff. I got to be with you in February. And like Shane said, uh, Boogie and I got to hang out. I got to meet some pastors from South County. Last year, we did a retreat together, and it's been really great to get to know some of the churches here in this area. I always look forward to coming and being with a church like this. I have a ministry called Soul Leader, and I work with leaders and pastors and churches all over. So when I get to come do something like this, it's really a privilege. I feel a little bit like the Apostle Paul bouncing all over Asia Minor, getting to see how churches are doing, and especially when I get to come back and say, how's it going? What's changed? What's new? How can I pray for you? It's really fun for me. So that's a joy that I get to do. And so I get to be with you a couple times this summer. Actually, John Eshelman and I, you guys know John? John and Anna? You guys love John and Anna? Um, are working on this series this summer together as Boogie's going to be gone. And we're talking about it. And we were trying to figure out a title. And I didn't know what it was going to be. So I chose this title, The Way. And at 940, uh, 10 minutes ago, I got a text from John Eshelman. He says, praying for you, The Way is a great series title. Run with it. So I guess this is what we're doing this summer. So um, yeah, I, I, now that we know what we're doing, I guess I can start. Um, and go forward with it. But we want to talk about something that I don't think we could talk about a more important topic than what we want to do. Yeah, if anybody needs a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. There's going to be a few Bible verses that we definitely get to. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand as the guys are passing them out. We wanted to talk about what does it mean to be followers of Jesus, not because some church told you so, not because your parents did it, not because you were forced to church, forced to go to church as a kid or something like that, or because you feel so guilty a lot of the time, you kind of seek it out of guilt and out of shame. But if you were to find a different kind of life that was so compelling that nothing else on earth compared to it, and you lined your life up behind that kind of life, that's what we want to talk about this summer, and how to live that kind of life, and how that kind of life got modeled by a person called Jesus and some others. And why there is no other way on earth that compares to living this way. And that's why we're calling it the way. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Um, we'll see how that works itself out over the next number of weeks. So it'll build on each other. John is going to pick it up where I left off this week. And since we just figured out the title, I don't even know where that's going to be. But we'll see. It'll be good. A couple months ago, I was up in Whistler Blackcomb area family likes to snowboard, um, but it used to snow in the world. It doesn't snow in our parts of the world anymore, so even in Canada, we didn't find very good snow. So my wife Darlene and I were taking a hike around a beautiful lake up in Whistler and just taking some pictures around the lake, and I came across this. What do you see in that picture? See a nice little pr new pretty little tree, right? And what, what's the tree sitting on or standing on or growing out of. Can you see that? An old stump, right? Can you see that? And I thought, that is so interesting. I've never seen anything quite like that before. I would normally pass right by a stump. And I thought, no, there's like something here. There's this old tree that who knows how many decades or more 
this large tree once stood, and for whatever reason, it fell or got hit by lightning or got cut down, and it's not there anymore. It's gone. No remnants of it whatsoever. But there's something really new happening right there. There's new coming out of the old, and I thought, that is so awesome. That is an example of what following Jesus is like. Newness coming out of oldness. That's my prayer for us in this whole series this summer even, that you would find a sense of newness growing out of the old. It's never too late. There, you might feel a little bit like dead wood, like you've been chopped down, like lightning hit you or whatever. But whatever's happened in your life, there's some new growth. There's new life that can come out of it. That's why I love that picture so much that I thought was so cool. Because we know, <clears throat> because of what I do with churches and such, I know the statistics are really bad. In any one month, it used to be 1,500. I just read this week it's between 1,700 and 1,800 pastors leave ministry every single month. They just give up. They burn out. They crash. They quit. They get fired or whatever, and they just say, I'm done, okay? And that's the pastors. We know that there's now these groups of people uh, called the nuns because they don't affiliate with any religion anymore. Church is kind of like a thing of the past. And now there's this group called the duns. I'm just done. I'm over. I've been to a church, and they gossiped about me. Or they said they were going to love me, but I went through this really hard time in my life and tried to be real, and nobody came. Nobody showed up. We're just over. And so America is becoming churchless just like Europe has over many decades. And I don't know what that's going to look like five years or ten years from now. And some of you young parents going, what does that mean for my kids? Well, you can make a difference in your family, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community. And I hope you'd never give up. But we're in a really tough time. What does it mean to be churchless where the church doesn't seem to help us? That's not what this series is about. It's not like how can this church help you more? I think Branches is a great church. I'm getting to know you guys and I love many of the things you do. Especially being a church for people that don't go to church. But at the same time, to know that many people just won't come to church. They need to look at somebody's life that's so different that it's compelling enough to go, I want to live like that. I want to be like that. I don't necessarily have to show up on a Sunday morning and sing some songs and give some money, but I want to be like that person's life because I think that's way more compelling. There's an author, Peter Senge. Some of you might have seen his book, The Fifth Discipline. It's a book on systems theory, usually applied to business, also applied to leadership. He was speaking to a couple thousand pastors a number of years ago. Now, he happens to be Buddhist. So here you have a Buddhist uh, business consultant speaking to a bunch of pastors, trying to make some connections that would be meaningful here. But one of the observations Peter Senge was giving is that when he went into bookstores, Barnes & Noble, or you know, most of the other bookstores have all dried up, but he was noticing that in the spirituality sections of a bookstore, a lot of change had taken place. That there used to be a pretty big spirituality section that included things on Christianity. But one of the things he noticed was the Eastern religions have been growing. Any of you ever notice that? I hang out in the spirituality section, so I do know that. Maybe you don't. Maybe you hang out in the fiction section or wherever. You know, my wife and I can never find each other in the bookstore. We always hang out in different sections. But in the spirituality section... Sure enough, there's a big shift, and New Age grows, and Eastern grows, and Buddhism grows, and those sections grow, and what we might call Christian spirituality continues to shrink. And that's kind of a sad reality. But the question was asked, why do you think that is? So Senge gives an answer. He said, I think that's the case, that people are gravitating toward Eastern religions because Christianity presents itself 
as a system of beliefs. But Buddhism presents itself as a way of life. And I wasn't at that conference, but I was told that was probably the biggest takeaway from that conference, as he told a couple thousand pastors, wake up. It's not about believing a certain way, giving mental assent to some facts about the gospel. It's about living a certain way, a certain way of life that makes you not just look like a follower of Jesus, but you really are. That if we could get inside you and see the deep recesses of your heart and your mind and everything that was going on internally, we would know that you are a follower of that person that 2,000 years ago around the Sea of Galilee, looked at some fishermen, some tax collectors, and some different people, and he just had one kind of line. Come follow me. Come. Follow. Me. What would that be like to be invited? Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. We often don't think of him quite that way, but he was. He was a Jewish rabbi and teacher. And the interesting thing is normally people would have come and sought the rabbi's request. They would have said, please, can I, can I follow you? I've been studying your teachings for a while and your interpretation of Torah, okay? So what we know is our Old Testament. And I want to follow you because I think you've got some cool things to say. Jesus turns that upside down and does it totally different. He changes it and says, no, I'm going to find some followers, and then he meets them and says, you come follow me. We have that same invitation in our lives today, to come and follow the rabbi. In Acts chapter 9, kind of an interesting thing, the early church has just begun trying to figure out it was just a sect. It was just a sect of Judaism. Once again, it's a little hard for us to understand because we're at the church here looking backwards, but right, Judaism was a big religion at the time. And Jesus had come, and Jesus had been the hoped-for Messiah, though some believed and many rejected. Now Jesus is gone. The early church has begun And we get to this place where it says, meanwhile, Saul, so this is the Apostle Paul, okay, before he was converted, his name was Saul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He was killing Christians, okay, because he was so radical about his own Judaism and he hated Christians that he was looking to hunt them down and kill them. He went to the high priests and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting about that? There was no name for this, like, sect. They were trying to figure out who they were and what they were doing and what they were about. And at that point, they were known as the way. Christianity, as we know it back then, 2,000 years ago, was known as the way. It was known as a way of life. And that's important to understand. A way of life, not just giving assent to some mental facts that you believe or that you said a prayer. There was a completely different way of life that your whole being was captivated by. That grew into what the early church called the threefold way. The threefold way. Because if we're going to understand what it means to follow this way and this way of life and this way of this rabbi that taught some really different things, we've got to understand what that means. Over the last number of years, 
I've been studying um, a little bit more kind of 4th through 16th century spirituality. What happened back then? Some real meaningful things happened back then. And some of you have probably read books from folks back in, in those days. If you haven't, I really recommend it because compared to popular books today, there is just some great depth that takes place in those books. But I want to talk about and kind of divide this up this morning and talk about the way in this issue of the threefold way and what are those areas And if we were to pay attention to some things and kind of go through a process in our lives, what might that process look like? These aren't necessarily linear steps. They're more dimensions of your life. And they overlap with each other and they often go on at the same time in different ways. Sometimes people might see them as stages of faith. And yeah, you might start one stage but still be in another one. But if you can kind of grasp this, you'll get the sense that Sometimes the way we in the church have made Christianity today, we've, we've really dumbed it down and made it simple. And back in that time, it was a serious deal. If you were going to be part of the way, if you were going to follow Jesus as a rabbi, there was a big commitment. And even in the early church, you became a catechumen, someone that was learning. And there was a process that you would, entered in, would have entered into that took Uh, not just a day, like sometimes we have a church membership class and it takes a day, or sometimes a few weeks. This would have taken months and probably a couple years because you were serious about saying, I'm going to follow the the way. I want to be a part of this movement. And what does that mean and what process do I have to go through? And I want to talk about that because I think it's significant. I think it's important for us to understand some of that process and kind of pull it out in terms of its details. So let's look at them one at a time, okay? One at a time. The first one, the first aspect of the threefold way was known as purgation. Purgation, okay? Not a word that we really use much today. What, what word do you see in there? Okay, probably, probably purge, right, or purgatory. And some of you might know, especially if you have a Catholic background, like purgatory is a place where you go and work on something so you can go to a better place. But that's not what we're talking about here. It's really the word cleansing, that my life has a need to be cleansed, okay? I need to deal with some things that might have been previously hidden and work on those things couple scripture verses. Romans 7 puts it this way. Here's the Apostle Paul later on after being converted and writing the book of Romans says this, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. That's what we're talking about here. What is it that lives in us that we need to cleanse? For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good. See if you can relate to this. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Can any of you relate to that? I want to do the right thing, but my doer doesn't work right. It it doesn't do what I want it to do. And that's what he's saying. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Feel the frustration? I can relate to that. This is what helps me know. People that wrote the Bible were really relevant. They understood these things. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, we can keep going. That whole chapter kind of sounds like that, but it's a giant tongue twister, 
Might be something worth reflecting on Romans chapter seven, but here's the deal. There's something in me that doesn't go the right direction, and I wanna figure out what to do about that. It needs cleansing, okay? It needs to be dealt with in some way. A couple years ago, um, kind, of a, kind of a health nut and health freak and stuff. In fact, the last time I was here in February, we got to talk about the body in the renovation series. Remember that? We ta- asked me to talk about the body, which was kind of weird. I don't talk about that very often. So we talked about good nutrition. And I'm glad you guys are all eating good now, right? And you're exercising. You look in much better shape than when I was here in February. You're all sleeping nine hours a night, and you have no stress. So you've arrived in that, so we can move on to other things now, I see. Um, but I'm a little bit of a health nut, so I realized, man, water can be gross today. So, you know, you go to Costco, and they sell these water systems that help fix the water in your whole house and stuff. So they'll come out for free and test your water. So on the, on the left is a bottle of um, kind of somewhat purified water. On the right is our tap water. But that's not what it looks like when you run it in a glass. You kind of fill a glass, and then they take this little electrolysis device, and they stick it in there. And what it does is it causes all the junk in your water to become visible. So after he does that, he hands me the glass of water and says, go ahead, drink it. It's not changed at all in any way, except that now you can see what you couldn't previously see. Would you drink that water? That's why I bought the water system from Costco. Okay? I wouldn't want to drink that water either, yet that's exactly what I was drinking. Our lives are a little like that. There is stuff in our lives that need cleansing. Sometimes you can see it. Sometimes you can't. Question, would you drink it? Do you want to be around it? Do you want to be married to it? What is that like, right? There's stuff there that needs to be purged, purgation, cleansing from our lives, whether or not you can see it. Another verse in Colossians 3, and we'll just go through these quickly. These are the kind of verses that if, you, if you're like interested in what we're talking about here, I would write these down and spend some more time in them over the next several weeks as, as we do this series called The Way, because this is really important. Colossians 3 says, put to death, cleanse, purge, get rid of, okay? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Okay? And then this whole long list of things, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you've got to rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. I love that, the new self. So this is what we're talking about. What, how do you get rid of this old, this kind of stuff that you just don't want to drag you down anymore and put on something new? The Bible has this imagery of taking off, putting on. Another place where it does this is in Ephesians chapter four, okay? You were taught, like that baby that needs a diaper change needs to take off the old diaper and put on a new one, right? Just thank you for that prompt. That was perfect timing there. <laughs> Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Just put it off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So just get this sense in the Bible of taking off, putting on, and how important that that is, okay? Some of you might have seen this story a couple years ago. This is a sheep named Shrek, okay? This is a sheep named Shrek, and it's, he's with a shepherd, and here's a little story. The sheep got lost for about six years, 
and they couldn't find Shrek. Well, Shrek had held up in some cave somewhere and had started growing, growing wool, you know, how long that takes to, normally an average sheep, I don't know this because I'm not a shepherd, and you know, I think sheep are kind of cool, I'm told they're kind of stupid, but they look kind of cool to me. I took a lot of pictures on vacation of sheep we saw this year, um, but sheep have about 10 pounds of wool on them when they get sheared. When they found Shrek after being gone for six years in this cave where he was living, he had over 60 pounds of wool on him, right there, poor Shrek. Why did that happen? Because Shrek had strayed away from his shepherd and couldn't get the normal shearing, cleansing that has to happen in order to be a healthy sheep. It's just amazing to look at, 60 pounds of wool. Any of you can relate to Shrek? You feel like you got a little bit too much on you? Not physically, that's our other sermon, okay? We talked about that. But do you feel like spiritually you got like a lot of wool that just needs to be sheared off? Ah, so many examples we could use here about cleansing. So this one, spoiler alert, is kind of gross. So if you have a weak stomach, before the next slide, close your eyes. I'll prompt you, okay? This is my personal story, okay? A few years ago, actually it was a number of years ago now, I'd been out working in the yard, and in my right hand, I'd got a little bump, and it looked like a splinter that was in my hand. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. So I took a tweezers like you do, and I tried to get the splinter out of my hand. And I thought I got it, but it came back. And I'm like, that's weird. I thought I got it out. And the splinter looked like it came back. And I kept doing this over, first it was weeks, and then it was months, and then it was years. And whatever it was that was in my hand just wouldn't go away, no matter how many times I tried to dig it out. Well, I had gone to even the doctor. They x-rayed it. They said, nothing's really in there. Not a big deal. You can just leave it alone unless it hurts. You can come back and see us. But we probably have to do surgery on your hand. And I didn't want surgery, especially after he told me how much the surgery was going to cost. I'm like, forget it. I'll put up with a little splinter that just was like a little callus, the size of an eraser head on my hand. That's all it was. One day, it started to hurt after having it about eight years in my hand. So I started to massage it, and it hurt more. And then it started to swell into that bump you can see up in the left-hand top area there, a bump. And my hand got so swollen, that lower picture is my left hand and my right hand. Something was going on inside my hand, and I had no idea what was going on. I'd lived with this for eight years, and they told me it was okay, like nothing was inside my hand, until they did hand surgery and opened it up. Here's the gross part. If you don't like gross, don't look, okay? If you're fascinated by it, go ahead, because you're going to see my hand, okay? They did surgery on my hand because my hand needed cleansing. I told you it was gross, My hand needed to be cleansed. The doctor opened it up and he said, pus just ran out everywhere. My hand was so badly infected because something was in there that should not have been in there. To this day, we don't know what it was. They looked really concerned. This is where the doctors start coming to you and they start sending the um, infectious disease people and they're like, something really bad is here. And I realized that if they didn't figure it out, I was going to lose my hand or my arm or worse, because they start cutting things off if they can't figure out what's affecting your body. They never figured out what it was. Thankfully, I responded to some antibiotics, and today I just got a nice three-inch scar on my hand. It came out better. But the point is, even though that's really, and if you want more pictures, by the way, friend me on Facebook, and I got this section 
called hand surgery, and it gets even worse than that, guys, because they work on my hand for four months, and they have to go into wound, daily wound care. I go in, and they work on my hand every day, and they don't give me any drugs to, to ease the pain at all. Because they're like, we got to know what the dead stuff is to cut that away. We don't want to cut the live stuff. So if we give you pain meds, we'll cut the live stuff. So how do we know when the live stuff? By when I jump. And it hurts so bad. It was a really terrible experience, but I'm really thankful for my hand. But it reminds us, we've got something with the potential inside us, right? That something can kill you. It can kill you. You need to have it cleansed. You need to have it purged, okay? I went through, and this is a little story I tell, and I won't get into it long today because it would take like way, way too long, but a number of years ago, back in 1991, I went through a time in my life where I went through eight months of clinical depression, and during that time was a really dark time, and it felt to me like I was sliding down a razor blade. That was a dream, little vision that I had, and uh, it was feeling bad, and it was going to get worse, and it was a horrible, horrible eight months, but that changed my entire life, and if I hadn't gotten cleansed from that and realized that there were some things that fed into that, I had some family of origin issues that fed into that. I never knew my dad. I had huge father deprivation. I was searching for father figures. I was in my late 20s, early 30s at the time, and it had just set me up for this. I'd also come from a really rigid, legalistic kind of religious system, and that had set me up for that. And I got to this place where life was dark, it was horrible, and there was stuff inside me that needed to be cleansed. We all have got stuff like that, and if we hide from it, it's not going to get better. So if you're going to be part of the way, if you're going to grow as a follower of Jesus, you got to figure out what do you need to cleanse and how you're going to deal with it, okay? My point is don't hide. The church and a community like this is a perfect place to figure out how can I continue to grow and change and be loved and be with other people like I need to be. There were some people I shared about the 4th through 16th century spirituality, and I just want to reference a few people. In the 4th century, there were some folks that went out into the deserts, mostly of Egypt and Palestine and places like that, but they were seeking to be cleansed from society, and they were trying to figure out, how do I get alone to be with God? They were known as the desert fathers and mothers. And if you want to seek out some wisdom about people that were trying to figure out how to find cleansing, how to understand this thing of purgation, it's kind of fun to read the Desert Fathers and Mothers. There's this quote right here, be solitary, be silent, and be at peace from Abba Arsenius. Abba just means father. And the Desert Fathers and Mothers had a lot of wisdom. You can buy a book actually from the Desert Fathers and Mothers that just from years ago they found out in the desert a way to be purified. Let's go on to some of these other ones. Let's look at the second one. So purgation is the first way. Illumination is the next way. And really, all of these are about light, okay? All of these three ways of being on the way are about light uh, or the absence of light. I don't know about you, but light is important to me. I don't even like when it's cl cloudy outside, you know? I hated that we had May gray, and then we've had a ton of June gloom, and we're heading toward Foggest, right? I mean, it's just like ridiculous. Maybe we'll get July, some sun, but I'm really sensitive to that. I, I like light in my home to be a certain way. So think about this illumination in your life that um, we need light, okay? So we're dealing with cleansing, and light cleanses things more than maybe anything else does. The Bible talks a lot about light. Here it says, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. 
Okay? Here's this illumination. What does it mean to bring light into your life? In 1 John, the apostle, John talks a lot about light. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sins. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, getting into the light. What does it mean to take the issues of our lives and move them into the light? And have you ever been to the Getty Museum? At the Getty Museum in one of the lobbies is this picture by Ed Rusha, and it's called uh, Picture Without Words. And I remember loving it when I saw it for the very first time. I took a picture of it, and I just stood there and looked at it, but I couldn't figure out why I loved it so much. And I loved it, one, because it was so simple, but it was a picture of blackness, blackness with light coming through. As you can see, kind of this, what looks like a window or a hole. And there was just something so awesome about that that I remember thinking, that is so cool to be able to think about how light impacts darkness. And in its simplicity, it just impacted me in some huge ways. Picture without words. It is kind of funny, though, in the lower right corner, you see the museum put a, one of those signs that they do with a whole lot of words on it to describe the picture without words. So right there is the picture without words in all its simplicity with a whole bunch of words describing it. But nonetheless, I understood illumination, I think, a little bit better because of what Ed Rusha did. Sometimes glasses is something we need to do. A couple years ago, that's my son Kyle and I, and we went to different places and we're shopping for glasses because we both needed to figure out we need different kinds of glasses. So we're just trying on goofy, wacky glasses. So I took a couple pictures of us. I was really glad I went shopping with Kyle, though, because once he got glasses, he didn't get those ones, but he did get some other glasses. He got in the car, and he goes, everything's so clear. And I'm like, you've been driving for how long without glasses? Really glad he got glasses, but sometimes it's like that, right? We need light. We need illumination. It's like taking off one set of glasses or not having glasses and putting on a brand new set. Now I can see. To be on the way, you got to be able to see. You need light, you need clarity, you need vision, and the ability to see is really, really important. That's a picture of a cold laser. Not a hot laser. It's a hot laser. It could cut my arm off. But this is something my doctor used to help my hand heal. He actually did a cold laser, and the, the regular doctors had told me it would take my hand about three months to close up. That wasn't a pleasant experience. They did not stitch it, okay? They never put stitches in because the infection has to come out. But he said, this is my alternative doctor, okay? Some people call them witch doctors and stuff too, but whatever, I was really happy because he let me use this thing called a cold laser that we put on a few times a week, and within a month, my hand had <clears throat> entirely healed because of that. What caused my hand to heal different? It was light. A laser is light. And it brought healing to my hand. And after one month, that's what my hand looked like. They said it would take three months. That's no stitches or anything. The body's supposed to heal. Our lives are supposed to move in directions. And light can help us to heal and find directions like that. The desert fathers and mothers in the fourth century did a lot to figure out, how do I go in the desert and get involved in purgation? It was the monks and monasteries that grew up in the fifth and sixth and onward centuries that really had a sense of what does it mean to have light. I've got to be able to understand how to spend time in prayer and work, those most important things, aura, labora, they would call it, 
prayer and work and make space in my life for God. And in that, there would be light. And so there's a sense of, while none of us are probably going to sign up to be a monk anytime soon, some of you young moms are going, I'm looking for a monastery that'll take me for a while so I can get away and just get some peace and quiet, right? Um, what does it mean to get away to know that in the midst of light and in the midst of being community with each other, life can happen, change can happen as a result of some spiritual practices? Purgation, first way. Illumination, second way. Here's the third way, union. The third part of the way, union. What does it mean to be one with God and to connect with God in deep ways? To the nation of Israel, the place that they connected with God was the temple, right? God dwelt in the temple and in that sacred place. Not the whole temple, right? But in the holy holies, that inner place that only one time a year the high priest could go. And it was so sacred they would tie a rope around him because when he went in once a year, if he died, no one else could go in to get him or they would die. So they tied a rope around him in case he died. It would be like, is he in there? You know? Uh-oh, he's dead. <laughs> pull him out. Right? And they'd pull him back out. That's how sacred, but that's how they would meet with God. That's what happened. But the Jews lost their temple. My wife and I were in Israel a couple of months ago, and one of the things that amazed us the most about the way the Jews worship God and wanting to be so close to God was this whole aspect of the temple and where the current temple mount is. So the current Temple Mount is above this area, right? And that wall is known as the Western Wall, or some called the Wailing Wall, right? It's the Western Wall of the Temple Mount where the Jews go, and that's an actual picture that I took, of hundreds of Jews. We happened to be there during Passover week. So it was about three times more crowded in Jerusalem than usual. But why do so many people go pray at a wall? You see, that sounds kind of dumb. I want to pray at a wall. I want to go pray like in nature or something. They go there because that's as close as they can get to where the temple was and the holy of holies was and where God dwelled. It makes me wonder, what am I doing in my life to get close to God, to be in union with God, to be connected with God? But then a couple days later, we realized it didn't stop there because you can go underground in Jerusalem and go down into what are called the Western Wall Tunnels. And in the tunnels, you go down in these long tunnels that are literally as long as a football field. And at one place, we're right beneath the western wall now in a different place. And that's the wall you can see. And some ladies are there praying because that's even closer to the holiness of God. They were trying to do whatever they could to get as close to God as they could to seek this sense of union. We might think it a little bit odd, but it's really not. Because they're trying to just get close to God and be one. And that's as close as they can get right now. It says in 1 John 1, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. We usually talk about this around Christmas, right? But this is talking about Jesus. He would be called Emmanuel, but Emmanuel means God with us. If you worry about union with God, I'm really thankful I don't have to go to a wall to pray. And I'm not against spiritual practices, so don't take me wrong at all. In fact, that's what this whole series is about. But what do I need to do to get close? But Jesus has already said, Jesus' name means, Emmanuel means God with us. That's the kind of union that we're seeking here that I think is so significant. 
We talked about the desert fathers and mothers, then about the monastics. And then a little bit later on, you had some others come along that kind of known as the mystics, okay? Those that believed that God was showing up, but they prayed, and God would just come to them in various ways. Teresa of Avila was one of those mystics, 16th century Spanish mystic. And this is a famous Bernini sculpture of, of Teresa called The Ecstasy of St. Teresa, and it's in Rome. You ever go to Rome, get a chance to see that. And what it is, it's a picture of Teresa who's sitting just desiring to be so close to Jesus, to God, that the angel is there with a spear about to pierce her heart. And that's Bernini's symbolism of what this union looks like. What does it mean to have your heart pierced with the love of God, the union of God, the, uh, the joy of God? To be so close that your heart would be pierced by that very thing. That's what we're talking about. So that's what the threefold way looks like, okay? Purgation, cleansing, that part makes sense? As long as you don't show me that hand picture again, it makes sense. I'll nod yes, yeah. Illumination, it's about light, right? Light coming into our lives. And what does it mean to expose our lives to the light? The dark places? I want to know that the darkest place in my life can be healed by light. And I want to be in a community of people that I can share that darkness. And you know what? They don't love me less. They love me more. They love me more because I got a chance to share that with them. And then union, that place of getting as close to God as I can. Jesus, God with us, is accessible and available to me. Purgation, illumination, and, and union is the threefold way. So you might be going, okay, this is like a lot of sermon. The way to wear, okay? So that was introduction. Now I can start the sermon and talk about the way to wear. Okay, because actually, here's where we're going over the next few weeks, and John's going to pick this up next week and start talking about it. The way to where, this is a really important question, though, okay? If I were to summarize the where, I would say the where is the kingdom of God, okay? We are trying to figure out how to live life in the kingdom of God, not just when you die, because many people think like kingdom of God is only future, but no, to live in the kingdom of God right here, right now. Do you know you can do that? The kingdom of God is right here. Jesus would say when people would ask, he'd say the kingdom of God is at hand. That literally means it's like right here. I, like I were to say, the projector is at hand. It's right here, okay? This podium is at hand. It's right here. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. Well, we're Jesus. It's all around us. We've got to figure out how to see it. My thought is that if you understand this threefold way, purgation, illumination, union, realize your life on the way and you see your life not as a system of beliefs, but as a different kind of life, you'll start to realize the kingdom of God is right here on the beach. Look at that at lunch when you're out here eating and celebrating together. It's at your workplace. It's in your neighborhood. It's with your friendships. It's at the local coffee shop. It's where you find yourself, but you've got to pay attention or you'll miss it. But that's my goal. That's my, that's, I get so excited to think that we can figure out how to live life on the way and see where God is already at work. It's not up to me. I just join God in what God is already doing. You get that? That's where it becomes fun. In fact, God wants to overcome evil in the world with good. And you know who he wants to use to do that? You and me. I love that. Because that's what's happening behind the scenes. God wants to overcome evil with good, but he can't do it alone. He's got to use us. And that's why we get to walk on the way. Now, if that's not compelling to you as a mission, I don't know what is. I can't think of a more exciting thing to get my life behind than to figure out how do I live in the kingdom of God here and now and be part of overcoming evil with good throughout human history in the world. 
and bringing that kind of love to everyone else. But it starts with me as I'm on the way. And I need to be involved in certain practices. So the analogy the Bible uses, and I'll close up with this, it's like a race, okay? And it's like a race that runners would run. But it's a race that's going somewhere, right? Think of the way again. Why am I training? Because sometimes, here's what I don't want you to think about. I don't want you to think about trying harder. I want you to think about training because we're going to talk about practices over the next number of weeks, spiritual disciplines they're called sometimes, practices or habits, and those are things that aren't meant to be like, try harder, do more, read your Bible more, pray more. No, we're not talking about that. These are practices that free us up. Just like a runner trains in order to run better, they can't try harder, right? It's like if I were to ask you, could any of you run a marathon today? most of you would say, no, I can't do that. But if I were to say, I'm going to come back next year at this time, okay, and be here on June uh, 28th, 2016, and here's your training instructions for the next year. And if you did them, many of you could now run. That's what we're talking about. And that's what practices allow you to do. It says in 1 Corinthians 9, you've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs, one wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. Year after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping telling everyone else all about it and then missing out myself. Isn't that good? That's what we're talking about here and the kind of practices that we want to be involved in. Figuring out how to navigate life with some spiritual disciplines and some practices. So let me just say a couple words and then I'll close. When we talk about various practices, it's so important to understand they do not make you more spiritual, no matter what you think. So just doing these things that John's going to kick off next week and talk about, and I'm going to come back in a couple months and talk about, they don't make you more spiritual, so don't think they do. If you think that, you'll just become a good legal, little legalist trying to try harder and do more. They're not about that. You need grace to do them. You can't do them by yourself. So whatever it is we talk about here on Sundays, realize I can't do it. Even as you leave today and think about, man, purgation, I got to get rid of some stuff in my life, don't try to do it yourself. You got to pray, God, help me. Help me figure out. I need grace. Grace is God doing in me what I can't do in myself. That's what that big Jesus word means. We need it, and you gotta give yourself a lot of grace. Don't beat yourself up. Don't be harder on yourself, okay? There's no one right spiritual discipline to do or practice or habit. You figure out where your life's failing, where you're blowing it, and you figure out what might you do to help yourself fail less in that area. That becomes a discipline or a practice for you, okay? You have fun with them. You try different things, and you realize that when I practice these things, I'm gonna start growing in new ways and in different ways. Now, here's the last thing I want. I don't want you to feel like this cartoon with just a bunch of other things loaded on your back. Oh, no, they're just going to tell us more things we got to do. Do not do that at all. It is about freeing your life up, okay? Your life's cleansed. Light's coming into your life. You're desiring to be close to God and following this rabbi named Jesus who had such amazing things to say that no one in the world ever had such important, compelling ways to live as Jesus did. Does that make sense? Don't beat yourself up. Don't be hard on yourself for those kind of things. This is a picture of me last week with my mom, Mary. 
When I was here in February, my mom came and sat right in the front row here. She had just had a stroke. She's, she's dying now. I was with her the last couple days, and I thought she was dying. I held her hand and prayed with her. I literally thought she was dying in that moment. She hasn't died yet, but she's not doing well. Her mind is about 90% gone. She's moved from walking with a cane, which she did when she was here, to using a walker, to now she's in a wheelchair. She can barely walk. She has four compression fractures in her lower spine. So she's in extreme pain most of the time. It wasn't for pain medication. We just ordered hospice care for her yesterday. She's dying. And um, it's consumed much of my life and my wife's life for the last four months. And I don't just put it up there for prayer, though I've never really closed with a prayer request like that before, but if you want to pray for my mom, Mary, that she would have a wonderful transition to be with God, that would be a wonderful prayer. Pray for us as we continue to try to love her in her last days. But as I thought about it and as I was thinking about what to talk about today, I realized that I've never experienced death like I am walking with my mom. And I've never experienced the level of stress walking through someone having a stroke and their whole life turning upside down overnight. And if I didn't have in my life the things that needed to be there so I could walk on the way, I never would have made it. I don't know where I would have been. And it's really hard to watch my mom die. But the thing that I've known all throughout is that God's right there with me and with her. So whatever's going on in your life, this is my reality today. I'll see my mom maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe a few more days. I don't know how long she's going to live. We all have a different reality that we're struggling with. The reason we're talking about this thing the way is so whatever it is that you're facing, you'll have what you need to face it, right? God promises that he'll give that to us. God, thanks so much for your love for us, your grace in our lives, and for how you come to walk this way with us. It's not an easy way. It's not a straight way. But it's a good way. And I pray that you would help us to know how we do not do it alone, but we do it with friends and with others that love you. I pray for this church, God. I pray for branches, that you would help it to become this safe place where cleansing can happen, where light can come in, where healing can, can take place. And that whatever the issues are that we wrestle with, that we can know that there's goodness there in the midst of whatever it is that we face. Help us to walk on the way with goodness and purity and love. In Jesus' name, amen.